0: hello and welcome to the doula tribe podcast i'm tess and i'm from the nurture doula tribe i'm a postpartum doula a mother and i'm irish we will be focusing on mothers families birth parenting and the postpartum period i'll be diving into lots of topics around raising children I want to speak to inspiring people and I want you to learn something. So make sure you tune in. Find me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast. See you soon. Welcome, my next guest is Claire Tonti, a NARM-based singer-songwriter from Melbourne, the mother of two little humans who's three and seven. She's actually the CEO of a media company called Planet Broadcasting, and she hosts two podcasts, award-winning recommendations show Tonts, where she celebrates women's stories, talking to writers, experts, and deep thinkers about their lives. In February 23, Claire released her debut album Matrescence with a special live performance at the iconic Brunswick Ballroom. A collection of 11 intimate, intimate indie folk songs that explores the complexities of motherhood through her own stories and the stories of women she's privileged to know. Claire's music encompasses love, loss, identity, mothering as a creative and overcoming birth trauma, breastfeeding challenges, and postnatal depression. She also wrote and starred and co-directed a music video for her first single, Fear To Feel, as part of the album's release. In 23, Matrescence has made the soundtrack for a mother festival that runs through the Wheeler Center and Claire performed her song, Self, addressing postnatal depression in federation square she's performing across regional victoria recently in malwela and coming to shepherd soon it's and she's a great advocate for improving support for perinatal mental health she co-founded the media company with her partner james in 2015 and she began innovative work monetizing and producing podcasts. Claire began her career as a primary school teacher and she's worked in a variety of educational settings throughout the years. Claire has a background in community volunteering and she also has done holiday camps for disadvantaged children across Victoria. I'm very excited about this podcast.
1: I just wanted to thank you for coming on today, Claire, to Doola Tribe Podcast. And we're all about celebrating women and celebrating birth. And I'm so excited to talk to you, especially because I think oh. you've done a huge amount of work in this space as well. So,
2: Oh, Tessa, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for asking me on.
1: Thrilled. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wonder if you want to go straight into it and tell me like a key story of, about your family values?
2: Yeah, sure. Right. So I grew up in a very Catholic household, which was so beautiful in lots of ways. A lot of deep debates around the kitchen table when I was growing up. My dad was an, was an ethicist and a philosopher. and My mum is a GP. So um, wow. a lot of talk about politics and, you know, a lot of high achievers in my family growing up, my family of origin. But one thing I missed in that I got given so many opportunities from that beautiful upbringing. But one thing that I always felt was very, I don't know, I felt like a fish out of water in some ways in that house and that I'm a very silly person. And, and no one really else in my family is particularly silly. But my husband and I, the reason I think we're together, we've been together since I was 19, I'm 37, so that's a really long time. And I think immediately when I met him, he understood my kind of strange sense of humour and he got me in a way I don't think I'd ever found anyone to understand me before. And one of the big things about it is our humour and comedy. and And now that's what we do for a job. He runs a podcast called The Weekly Planet and a YouTube channel called Mr. Sunday Movies, which is comedic takes and reviews on movies and Star Wars and video games and all oh, that wow. kind of thing. Yeah, so we used to be primary school teachers and then that's how we started. I started in the podcast world because when um, James and I were teaching, he started this kind of channel on, you know, movies as a hobby and yeah. then it kind of grew and became really big. And then I went on maternity leave and started working monetizing his podcast because there was no one really doing that at the time, which was like 10 years ago now, something like that. And that's how I kind of do what I do now. And I fell into doing podcasting in that way, eventually hosting my own shows. But all that is to say, it's all around making each other laugh and being silly. And so that's a really big value, I think, in our house to be kind and compassionate to each other and curious But the other value that I hold really highly is that joy and silliness and not taking things too seriously and, you know, making each other laugh. And I think music is a big part of that in our house too. And telling stories and sharing art and creativity is also a really big value for me. I think I feel like allowing your kids to be fully themselves and you being fully yourself in all your complexity and silliness and eccentricity to me is really important. So yeah. I would say, yeah, they're kind of our core values.
1: Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And like, so interesting how much you packed in. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs>
2: you can tell I talk a lot into a microphone, can't you? Just funny and you feel like, Claire, come on. It's not your show. Bloody hell. No, no, no. no I love questions.
1: It. That's great. And I suppose, just so that we can kind of get a full picture, you have two children was a seven and three yeah three, so a little right. girl who's three who I had during the
2: pandemic which if any other parents are listening that was a whole ride mm. in itself I know yeah. you've got an almost two-year-old and yeah it's a huge thing but I had be a better. home birth so I didn't go oh, near hospital
1: yeah okay that was the difference I think huge difference
2: yeah, would have been, definitely. Yeah, um, and I luck- had my
1: other son just before the pandemic. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, wow. 2019, so I know it's crazy. Yeah. But I'm a doula now, so I see all sorts of complexities from COVID.
2: Yeah, you would, particularly mental health, I think, for women. I'm so passionate about that now because I think it's skyrocketed, the post rates in postnatal and birth trauma too.
1: Yeah, birth trauma is huge, especially regionally. We're seeing a lot of, like, you know, kind of really restricted hospital births. And it's getting better, but it's still a nightmare. Mm, there's more yeah. choice, I feel, in Melbourne, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do.
2: Do you mean in terms of options for women to be able to choose how they give birth and where they give birth?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot more scope. Isn't that work perfect. For, for women to choose continuity of care so it's unfortunate when you go rural how different it is wow yeah is, it can be restrictive
2: is that because of lack of resources and staff yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and just yeah. like you know it's a training hospital or there's like you know maybe a few private midwives work up here but you have to pay astronomical costs like So we're kind of restricted in our ability to pick and choose what we want. Yeah, but that's all right. We make it work.
2: I think that's what women are really good at, right? Making it work. But then sometimes the middle of that is like your mental health. And I think it can take years really until your kids are a bit more independent and older. You kind of put it in a box, put yourself in a box on a shelf and you go, I'll deal with that later and then as we know with mental health things you can't leave it on the in on the shelf in that box because it'll eventually explode out and like come and find you and so you know having the appropriate supports in place for when you do need to really start looking at that i think yeah. is incredibly important and knowing what's out there and reaching out when you are struggling you know and actually acknowledging that that's a shared experience by a lot of women is super important
1: yeah absolutely i Completely agree. So I suppose, is that something that you're really passionate about right now? Like what what is your work doing at the moment?
2: Yeah, oh. so I'll, I'll tell the listeners a little bit of my story. So I was a podcast, so primary school teacher for eight years. Then I became well, a podcast Well, I was monetizing podcasts first. And our company was kind of probably one of the first to do that in Australia because at that time, no one knew what a podcast was or if it would even be anything. So I was working really hard in what essentially was a startup, connecting with a lot of companies overseas. And so working 24-7, then I had my son and I had a very sort of traumatic birth for a lot of different reasons. One of which I think was that I just handed it over completely to the hospital system. I did the birthing classes, these active birthing classes at my local hospital. And I had a private obstetrician in a public hospital and I just assumed that I would be fine. And that I trusted them and I didn't want to be fussy. I didn't want to make a fuss. I wanted to be like super practical and like, oh, you know, no birth goes the way you plan. So I won't even make a birth plan because I remember in that hospital class being told that, you know, your births don't go to plan anyway. So, you know, it's not, you know, women bringing these like very detailed plans, but ha ha ha, it won't ever come to pass, you know? And so I just really took on board that idea that I don't want to be a fuss and I'll figure it out. And I've done long distance running. So I know how to endure pain and I'll have some Mm. little strategies. I'll bring in a birthing ball and some playlists into the hospital and that'll be enough. And I also remember in those classes being told that breastfeeding was just the only way to feed your child and that all women can do it. Some can't hack the pain. And I remember hearing that and writing that down and internalizing that because I'm someone that likes to work hard and be good at things. And so I thought, all right, that's, I'll write that down. Of course, I can hack it. I'll, you know, I'll be that. I'll do it the way it should be done. Plus, I'll earth mother my way into the world with all of this. And I was a primary school teacher, so I loved kids. So all that is to say I was working incredibly hard right up until my son was born. And then it just didn't go right. It was, there was a lot of things that happened. One, I think, was that I was had my waters broken in the end in hospital because I'd been laboring on and off for a couple of weeks and I didn't really understand the cascade of intervention. I didn't yeah. know what was happening. I didn't really feel safe at home. I, didn't, I, I wasn't even sure whether the contractions were right and my husband was there too, but I hadn't had any friends go through birth. So I just, in my head, had this idea that hospital was the absolute best place I should be. And then unfortunately... Once I got there, the midwife I got was really quite awful and said some really quite really quite aggressive things in a way. I remember I, was, I experienced my first contraction that was very painful after they broke my waters and she said, we know you're having a contraction. You don't need to tell us every time. Oh, god! Yeah, I know. And then because I'm a singer now and I'll get to that part of my story in a minute, when I started contracting, this sound came out of me, this kind of low singing sound. And she immediately said, pipe down. You're going to exhaust yourself. You need to stop that singing immediately. Get back on the bed. Stop walking around. And I think at oh 29. God, I'd punch
1: her in the face if I was there. <laughs> right.
2: And at 37, I would. But at 29, I think I you had don't. been. You don't. And I'd been raised in this culture where you apologize for your own shadow. You're a people pleaser. You want everyone to like you. You don't want to cause a fuss. You don't want to be that fussy woman or the problematic one. And so even though I'm a very vocal person, I love to talk a lot clearly in my regular life as a teacher, and I would stand up for other people. For me, I just felt in that moment, oh God, of course, I'm just going to trust everything she says. And my whole body shut down. And I now know that, and you would know as a doula, that to give birth in a way that gives you the best chance of having a birth that goes well, you need to feel so safe. And your body is almost like you need to know that your body needs to know that you're safe. And so in that moment, I'm everything tensed up and I just stopped dilating. And so it was kind of 11 hours or 12 hours in. I eventually asked for an epidural, but I was so nervous about that because I'd been told all of these scary things about pain relief. And so I asked for a half block. So by the time it got to the point after 16 hours where I could start pushing, it had all worn off. And then, and this is quite explicit, I know, but the, apesiotomy tore so I ended up with a 3c tear and forceps and you know all those things and then in surgery straight after and in an incredible amount of pain and I, I just was so shocked by what happened to me and I felt so out of control and so there were some other things that happened one of which is one of the staff walked off with my drip while it was in my arm during the surgery, so like blood went all over the room. I know just lots of really strange things that happened. I remember my obstetrician just went silent, and at that point, I was I was screaming at everyone. I was just a woman on the edge, you know. But I after that, I'd lost so much blood. Feeding didn't go well, and I felt like everyone that came in was kind of pressuring me and making me feel ashamed for the fact that the feeding didn't work which i again i think is this narrative like you know however we feed our baby a fed baby is the best option yeah. and and a happy rested mother as much as she can be is the best option yeah. and obviously ideally breastfeeding if it works is wonderful but doesn't oh. always work for everyone for a myriad of different reasons and yeah. i think in that piece as well my son had really severe reflux disease which i didn't know at the time he still has it so he's on medication even now but I went straight into motherhood feeling like I'd failed because my milk didn't come in feeling like I was I'd been through a car accident and no one cared I had to just you know suck it up and feed this baby and I couldn't feed him properly and I was in the it was I was in so much pain from the birth but then also from trying to feed and then also so confused by all these different messages I was getting from the system yeah. and I really felt lost and even though I've got a wonderful partner and my parent my mum, so supportive my in-laws so supportive I've got beautiful friends I just felt so alone and so ashamed of how it was going plus I then fell into a system where I had to advocate for my son's health and no one yeah. would believe me which I know is a really common story for women whose kids have reflux it's yeah. often just well, all babies have reflux, all babies vomit. And it was like the exorcist for my me and my son, you yeah. know, like just that a level of like and it would happen five, six times a day and no one would listen because oh, I'm a wow. first time mum. And so they thought that, you know, that I was just a bit deranged and not sleeping, you know, that kind of vibe. It it took, I reckon, a good six months and a lot of hospital visits for someone to finally give us a medication. And then in a, a year, in a year in, I pushed and pushed for him to have a scope done, which is to put a camera in his esophagus and they saw it was ulcerated and bleeding and that it, it took so long. So I guess all I'm saying in that piece is it gives you context why I'm so passionate about mental health for mothers, yeah. because in all of that, now looking back, I can see I probably was some ki- experiencing some kind of postnatal depression. Or just a sane reaction to what was an incredibly difficult time. And that's a really grey area and hard to kind of unpick. What I will say as well, that that kind of happened and I just didn't stop. I kept working. I kept going. I kept parenting. I kept just like head down, just barreling along like I was fine. And that kind of then sort of, you know, four or five years later, I start to think about having my daughter. We're still working in the company. I'm now hosting my own podcast and doing all of that and not sleeping very much. And I had my daughter then COVID hits and all of that picture of homeschooling, running a business, having a baby, no support. And her birth was much better because I had a planned caesarean because after all the birth injuries, it just didn't feel like I could have give birth in a different way. And I sometimes am... St- I still wonder about that now, now that I know more about birth, whether that was really true and maybe it would have been different, but that was the choice we made and it felt really good to be able to make more informed choices, Um, but I still didn't produce a lot of milk with her. And I since am really passionate too about letting people know that just like some women can fill fridges, just like some women can run marathons and some women can do yoga and some women... Like to sing, and some people love public speaking. Our bodies are all unique. Some women just genuinely produce heaps of milk, and some mm. just don't. Mm. It's okay. My yeah, friend, village context. That's why, like, some women would be the ones feeding all the babies, and other women would be in the field picking the berries or something, and like organizing everyone, which would be me, like talking <laughs> to and running around. I just love, and yeah. that makes, gives me so much comfort because I think yes. it wasn't something I didn't do, and I tried everything, and I think in that as well in that breastfeeding piece the other dangerous thing that that happened and i i don't know if it still happens now but the advice i got given to improve my breast milk supply was that i should feed then pump then give formula and then do that every 2 hours which basically meant just don't sleep like around the clock every 2 hours because my son wasn't putting on weight which i now know was because of his reflux disease but at the time I did it because I was like, well, that's what good mothers do. And so I spent four and a half, five months doing that, which means I really, by the end of it was at the very edge of my sanity, probably. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if anyone listening has sat in the dark at three o'clock in the morning, pumping and getting 10 meals of milk, and then you spill it on the floor and you then, you know, you're so worried. And all of this information about formulaing whatever it is for my son and in it's
0: the allows. end, my
2: It's a lot. Yeah. So in the end with my daughter, I wrote myself a note and just said two weeks in, if the breastfeeding isn't going well, just formula is fine. And I think I just, I just want to say that because no one said it to me and I think it would have made a big difference because it was, I just actually enjoyed being her mum in those early days, which I, I just couldn't with my son. So it was such a different experience and my husband could help. So Long story short, I'm talking a lot here, but long story short, when I, after I had my daughter and everything, I hit rock bottom at the start of last year. And I had this this thing I know now called postnatal depletion, which a lot of women have yeah, and also long COVID. So I got COVID at the same time. Yeah. 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 And I, I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I couldn't even watch TV. I could just parent. I couldn't work. And I remember seeing this naturopath and getting some blood tests done and she looked at them and said, how are you functioning? And then I just burst into tears because I thought, oh, I thought this was just how everyone felt. Um, Yeah. So then I, I sort of went on this big journey of really changing everything the way I was working. She made me look at my life and write down the things that were really stressful and said, do you actually believe you can't change them? Because we often tell ourselves stories about the things that bring us the most stress and that they can't be changed. And sometimes they can't, but more often than not, there are some things that we can do. And yeah. rest and looking after our nervous system, which is something I'm really passionate about now, too. I keep saying the word passionate, but you know, there we are. Um, Love <laughs> Yeah, that's me, enthusiasm in a nutshell. Yes. Um, and so taking agency over that. And actually saying to my partner, I can't do all this anymore and you're going to need to change things too. And writing down all of the mental load and really he was doing a lot anyway and we co-parent very equally in our house. We always have, we work from home together. He's so a part of everything, but he's taken on more of the mental load now and that's really helped too. But in all of that, in the resting, in the being quiet, in the not being able to even watch TV, I started listening to music again. And I realized that the deepest part of me, and I think we all have it somewhere deep down, the thing that lit me up the most, that I loved the most, that was the biggest and scariest dream was music and singing, which I used to do in my early 20s. And I'd stopped listening to music after my son was born, which I oh. now know is a, isn't just me there. I've spoken, spoken to other women who are musicians who've said the same. It's almost like you lose your identity and it's too painful to listen or you can't hear anything in it anymore. Anyway, so then I developed this cough because of long COVID. So I went to a singing teacher to get some help with that. And then I started writing songs and she oh, saw wow. one of them I put on Instagram and said, did you know you're a songwriter? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm just writing some songs to like help me cope with what I'm going through. And she said, well, you've got to do something with them. And so she connected me with a guy called Ezekiel Fenn, who's a music producer. And then we got in the studio and I think he thought he was going to get this woman, give him some voice memos of her songs. He'd take them away, jazz them up and give them back to him. And instead he got this like mad woman that came in with like all these fresh ideas and all these new songs and like all these ways of arranging it and visions for how she wanted them to sound. And so what started as a couple of songs became 11 songs. And then I was looking around for a word to call the album and stumbled on this word matrescence, which I hadn't heard before. Which is the complex transition to motherhood, equivalent to adolescence. Mm. All of those big changes, all of the things that we see hormonally in teenagehood—the lack of, you know, the sort of loss of identity, the hormone imbalances, the mood swings, the change in our social networks, the change in our belief in who we are, our clothes and what we wear—all of it, and that everything, just, everything, <laughs> right? And it, it absolutely, and even like the complexity in our friendships but also in our relationships as well and that fundamentally just like was like a light bulb going on and I realized what I'd been through in those eight years since my son was born and in the songs that I sang and they're not just my story those songs they're also based on stories of other women that I know in my life and character songs in there too but really they tell the story of a journey through matrescence. And mm. for some people, matrescence, like for some people who go through adolescence is wonderful and great. And they actually love it and they find it, you know, so, you know, such a beautiful transition, but for other women, and I think for me, I had a really rocky, difficult one, difficult adolescence as well. So, you know, that's that. Yeah. Right. I think so. I also am curious now about What happens if we experience birth trauma or traumatic transitions into motherhood, how that then impacts our matrescence and the way that we grow too. So yeah, um, that's why I love the work that you do as a doula because it's just so powerful to have, you know, and I think sometimes people think doulas are for people like Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, like. It's like, a lot of
1: people don't even know what it is still. like you know but it's this emotional support that we're missing we get all the physical classes we get all these we're told physically what to do oh, we run a marathon we know what to do we have endurance It's but it's mind body spirit and it's this emotional stuff we're missing and people come to me now and say i can't get pregnant and i'm like have you thought about the emotional side? You've probably done all the physical side. We have these blocks. Or there's something unsaid. Or there's a fear. Like, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. now, And I just I want to send you so much love and compassion about your birth story. Because it's so, it rings so. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to hear for me because I had quite good births. And I feel nearly guilty that I had these amazing births and often women have these so traumatic, you know, terrible births and it affects you so much. And you can hear that in your story. And that's why I just want women to have powerful, empowering experiences. Like it all starts with birth. And I believe that, you know, and matrescence, and. All these emotional things that we are going through, we, we downplay it and it's another way for the patriarchy to, you know, get us back in our box. And these are the conditioning things we're going through every day. And I'm just so passionate about it as well. I'm so happy to talk to you about this because it's really quite a, you know, interesting topic for women these days, I think. We're hearing a lot more and more about mental health. We're hearing a lot more and more about how we can pick and choose our care or continuity of care. Mm. So, you know, are the wild women coming back? Yeah. Like, yes. I... Are the good girls gone? Yeah. This is the question. Yeah.
2: Well, I don't think they're gone, but I do think I've written a song on my album called Free. And they're one of the lyrics who spent so long being good girls, can't breathe through it. We've got to rip it up. We're going to tear it down. This cage you want us in no longer fits our crowns because we're fire and we're free.
0: Yeah, I and love it. me,
2: thank you. And my daughter is actually in that at the start and the end because she is so comfortable in her skin and in her body and in her being at the moment at three. And oh, she's well. just like... Jumping off the bed, and she was caught like counting herself down and like being her own biggest champion. And I just recorded her on my voice memo on my phone, and I put her in at the start and at the end because I, I just I don't, and I know the world is complex, and I know there are messages that, unfortunately, she will receive, and but I want to give her as much as I can of that idea that she can be, and so for my son too, Mm. to know that she can be who she wants to be and can unlearn any messages that people give her about who she should be. And that there's so much strength and power in being emotionally in tune with ourselves and our body. And I, I think this narrative that the emotional side of things is the soft stuff is just for want of a better word, bullshit. If you absolutely don't mind me swearing, I know (laughs) Brown Oh, great. Brene Brown, who I love, has a book called the Atlas of the Heart that came out recently. But she talks about how much as a researcher into emotion and vulnerability and shame, she often in the academic world gets looked upon as like a soft researcher or a soft scientist. When actually... Those are the things, being in tune with your emotions and being able to actually name and tame them, you know, articulate what they are, that's some of the hardest stuff out there to be able to do. And when you can, the strength and resilience that you can find, the peace, the contentment, the ability to then be a good leader and an effective parent, I really genuinely think that changes everything. And I think the whole problem with our culture often is that we're living in this kind of patriarchal linear world where we're supposed to be the same every day and we're supposed to be productivity machines and we're supposed to just like keep churning out more and more things and bigger is better and more is better. And can't we all just like build phallic buildings everywhere and cover everything with concrete, you know, and actually like as women, we are cyclical which means Mm. that like we are not the same every day, just like the earth is not the same every day. The seasons are not the same every day and birth is a part of that, but also throwing in the bin any idea of shame around what our bodies do in terms of our periods, in terms of menopause and perimenopause, there's so much knowledge that has been lost. Mm. And like that idea of the wise woman, the doula, the person that can support you emotionally that to me, I think is key. Yeah. Like, you know, and I remember talking to a friend about this because there's this idea that, oh, well, why would you pay for something like that? That seems like bougie or whatever. And bougie. then I was talking to, you know, I was talking to a friend about, it and I thought, well, I saw your wedding and I saw how detailed your plan was for your wedding. I saw how much you spent on like, I don't know, napkins. Like, This weird world we live in where we spend like $20,000, not everyone obviously, but a lot of people, $20,000 and we get given money maybe from our families even, not always but sometimes, or there's a pressure that we feel to spend all this money on one day, on one dress. But then straight afterwards often, and this is a very kind of heteronormative sort of trajectory, but it's quite common often then you have a baby and you go to a public hospital, you spend limited resources planning or having any professionals to help you. And you don't want to pay someone to emotionally support you before and after the birth. Makes no sense. If, if and <laughs> $20,000 on the birth, that is going to impact your life and your child's life. It just really blows my mind.
1: I often think about that.
2: And it's not people's fault. This isn't like a judgment. It's, it's- no,
1: but it, it's hindsight, isn't it? It's hindsight. So yeah. we can look back right. and go, oh, we needed that. And this is the beauty of, I suppose, education and birth education. And if you come across the right podcast and when you're pregnant, you know, it's just what you're, ex- I suppose, the opportunities and what you're exposed to. Yeah. It can- It just really depends what you're willing to listen to and what's, what's your karmic journey, you know, like this is, this is what I mean as well. And it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, how we're cycle beings. Like I was, I was told last night that the feminine energy is the moon, you know, the way the moon Mm -hmm. has phases and then it has different cycles and it's beautiful. And we should all howl at the moon like wild women, (laughs) but you know the sun is like the masculine energy because it penetrates and it's so interesting like that light and dark as well like yin and yang you know like Mm. we need all this stuff but we need to understand it so that we can be our full we can be our full potential Mm. like you know and we don't need all the stories we don't need all the media and the cultural conditioning like need to get back to our basics like cave women. Men outside the room with their sword protecting us some of the bloody d- doctors and nurses. Sometimes, or <laughs> mm. you know, this kind of like idea of getting back to our earth nature, pre-industrial time selves. This is what we need. This is what we need. Like, and I don't mm. know how we get there, but is it true education or is it like an? It's an evolution. I don't know. Do you know what I do when you're talking? I
2: I completely agree with you, but I also worry because I've I've been through a birth where if we were in medieval times, I would have died, yeah, and my son would have died. That's just fact because it of what had occurred, and I I I struggle with the concept of. Birth and home birth, or choices around this stuff, or a lack of trust in the medical profession, even yes. though I think that are some of that reason I was in the hospital setting, and then the way I was treated could have really led to my birth being very dangerous for me. Yes. I just think there's complexity in it, and I actually don't have an answer for it.
1: There's a place
2: for it. Yeah. Yeah. It but I worry, I worry because there is danger too as well as like I've spoken to so many people who've had such beautiful home births and I and so I understand that as well as being something that can contribute to having a powerful and safe birth is feeling yeah. safe in your home environment and I I know all of those things I've watched that beautiful documentary birth time that's
1: amazing yeah
2: yeah and so It's just, and I think in our world sometimes we have these sort of binary ideas, right? That like it's either this or that. You're either like home birth wild women, or you're like medicine for the win, and like (laughs) you can't do both. Do you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a place for, obviously, for so many reasons, birth can be such a beautiful and wonderful, empowering experience, and it can also be. Incredibly life threatening and dangerous for both Mm -hmm. involved. And so there's kind of this to me, and I don't know what the answer is. And there's, I'm not a medical professional, I'm a musician and a podcaster, but I do think that there is just room for more understanding about what each individual woman will need in her context and not to ignore, which I think the system does, and almost work actively against the needs, the emotional and spiritual needs of women. Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: totally. And that's why like having this in between, you know, we're bringing doulas and private midwives more into the space that can give that woman a trustworthy, wise woman within the hospital system. Like that's that's key, mm-hmm. I believe, to women having great experiences and for the man or the other woman, whoever your partner is, to be supported within that space when the woman is in labor because they're not you know coherent I'm sure you remember
0: Mm. what it's
1: like you're not really in a zone where you need to be having conversations so like your partner needs support they might need to go to the toilet they might need to go and have a meal like and the doula can take over or the private midwife whoever you choose so having and sometimes a woman another woman is a is a better person because maybe we've been through it, or we can kind of you know have that empathic experience with you but yeah it's it's about merging all of those kind of ideas around hospital birth and then the nature you know having. Giving birth, we were giving birth before the medical system came in, so we need to somehow find emerging, you know, beautiful space for women, like birth centers, or mm. you know, and maybe not medicalize it so much as as what it's going. Like, it's thirty seven percent are going straight for cesarean now in Australia, so that's really high. Like, that's probably the highest in the world, it's on par with America. So women, unfortunately, are choosing major surgery over birth, like natural physiological birth. So why is that? What is that fear? And where is that fear coming from? You know, this cultural conditioning that we need to sort out, I think. Mm. It's a little bit scary how we're going. So, you know, there's a a place for everything. And it's a conversation. It's a debate. Mm one of these things that you know maybe will evolve and change again hopefully so
0: yeah yeah
2: I it's sort of a funny thing isn't it I I because I know the rates of birth trauma are like one in three or something really yeah. high too yeah. and to me my sense from what I've read is that yeah it is there's a lack of compassion and care for mothers in the system yeah. so the it suddenly becomes about keeping the baby alive and the mother alive. And there's so much fear of litigation that doctors, and plus there's like lack of funding. Women are in there for like, what, two days maybe, and then out at home. And so I remember mum talking to me about when she gave birth to me, she had two weeks in the hospital. They looked after me so that she and dad could go on a date. Like the idea of being well enough after my birth that I could even contemplate sitting in a restaurant is so foreign to my experience. And then also, I think then speaks volumes about how cared for she was, how safe she felt, who was there looking after her, how they treated her, and then how she felt cherished after she gave birth. Yeah, And in so many other cultures in the world, that's what happens when a new, when a baby is born, so is a mother. And a newborn yeah. mother is treated just like a newborn, wrapped, yeah. given warming foods, rest yeah. for 40 days, all yeah. those beautiful things. And so finding our way back to that and and then, I, then you can understand why we have these women who are just at the end of their capabilities because yeah. they're also expected to, for their bodies to kind of snap back to how they were and for their personalities to be the same. And then they're just supposed to go back into the workforce and being the same. Yeah. And it's just it's just like it's unrealistic. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like just like not not possible. Or no. if it is possible, what what's sa- what you sacrifice is your mental and physical well-being. Yes. at the center yeah. of it.
1: And I think you spoke a lot about that. Like it was clear that you kind of had this one later on after your second birth that you it all fell apart. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we suppress and we suppress but well, what are we doing to ourselves when we're suppressing? Like it has to come out sometime.
2: Mm, and I always think that if your body, if you don't stop yourself, your body will. And I know Oprah has that idea that the universe throws a little pebble at you and you don't listen and it throws a little bit of a stone and then a rock. And then suddenly you're under a boulder and it's like, well, I've stopped you now. You know, Yeah, yeah, I love it. really... Yeah, and I do think that for women, like I know Freya, my naturopath said that to me, Freya Lawler, she's amazing. You should follow her on Instagram. Her information and resources about hormones, fertility, postpartum care, endometriosis, perimenopause, beautiful. And she's so wise. Yes, love us. Yeah, but she said that to me. She's like, if you don't change something, if you don't fix the way you're eating, the way you're sleeping, the way you're working, you 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 won't be able to care for your kid in yeah. the way you want to. And I think that is the thing that will then stop us because yeah, you really, you think I can sacrifice my own mental and physical wellbeing, but when you think it starts to impact your kids often, that's when the message really can be heard.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's what, you know, people get this wake up call when they have a little tiny person to look after their own. And they realize that that little tiny person copies everything they do. <laughs> like,
2: oh. Exactly. And would yeah. you want the life that you've built for your child? Would you want them to treat themselves the way that you treat yourself? Because that's when, in the end, one of the best advice I got as a teacher and the scariest, which I think is perfect for parenting, is that kids will do so much of what you do more than anything you say to them.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, I know it's like mind blowing, isn't it? Like, I know, I know. I've been on this parenting journey. It's been very interesting reparenting myself. But like, I'm like, I would like to think my, of myself now as a cycle breaker. And like, oh. I'm proud of that, you know? Like, I'm proud that I'm going to like change the way I was parented. And like, me and my husband are going to change that. Mm. going to like parent them in a really nurturing attachment aware way. <laughs> That's past- so powerful what you're doing. That's yeah. so special. Yeah, and I yeah. like to like, you know, really open people's eyes up to that as well and say, you can do that differently. Like you don't have to do it that way. If that doesn't feel right, that doesn't need to be the way you do it. Like we're no. told all these stories about parenting and from our parents. Yeah. Well I did I did it like that, so you should.
0: Mm.
1: It's often not, you know, might have been the right way back then, or you know what was popular, mm. but it maybe not relevant when really researched now, and maybe is not the right way.
2: You know, I did so I run a podcast that I'm working on the fourth season now called Tons, yeah. which is an interview yes. show where I interview people about their emotional lives, and usually act experts, academics, or activists and thinkers about their stories and creatives too
0: have an episode on there
2: yeah it's it's been so special because I get to listen to women's stories and diverse voices and I've spoken to so many different people some who have really big careers and some um, are some of my friends who are working in our community doing beautiful work that I really admire and I interviewed a woman called Carly McGoran who's a psychologist who works with families and teenagers in particular Mm -hmm. And her episode, I think, was one of the most powerful in terms of parenting advice that I've ever done. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her and her brother, Martin McGoran, they run a company together called Inform Empower. And it's all about cyber safety, really, which at the heart, when Marty started it, he thought he was just going to be teaching kids about password use and you know, how to use Google apps and get on with like using, you know, that kind of tools. But actually it's just so deep and huge and yeah. keeping our kids safe online and how to approach all of the explicit
1: content that's there now and the impact of that and all I'll that share is to it, say- I'll share it on my Instagram. It sounds really good. I need to listen. Oh, to that. We have I'd a I have a that. stepchild who's twelve, so I'm always looking out for new Teenage advice because oh I have God. these young know, children and then I have this preteen that I'm like,
2: oh. that's such a scary land. I and know from what I've heard, it's just so scary. So yeah, but Marty, I'm excited and Har- too, though. Yeah, me too. I and I think it's again, you're parenting in a you're parenting in a way that you weren't parented, so you don't have a blueprint. So you're looking for advice from experts, I think. And Marty and Carly are both excellent in that, particularly Carly because she works so much with the fallout when things haven't gone right with teenagers. And so much of it is internet use and the impact of that. But her, one of the best pieces of advice she gave me was other than, you know, naming and taming your emotions is so powerful. The other one she said is that whatever's happened, you're never going to get it right all the time. You're never going to say the right thing all the time. You're a human being and you're going to make mistakes, you're going to have an argument with your child, they're going to handle it badly, you're going to handle it badly or whatever, the most important thing you do is the repair yeah. conversation. Yes, so I've heard go- that. Yeah, right? It's so the- powerful.
1: Yes, mm. it is. I see that with my own children when you go in and repair. It's just so powerful. Yes. It like- changes everything, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, because she said really what kids want and what you want to make sure you try as best as you can to do is cultivate connection. Yes. And so that you're the person and you'll give them an honest answer as much as you can. So when they're teenagers, you've got this relationship that you've built over years and years of trust. And so while they're lost in the messy fog of what they're going through as teenagers, you still have this like kind of rich, deep connection and relationship that you can kind of fall back on. And yeah. so you hope then you keep that line of communication open
0: yeah, as much
2: beautiful.
1: as can. I love that though. It's so true. And it's so like what I'm trying to foster now with our children. Because I just see, like I can see my own, own childhood and go, oh, you know, I was connected, but not enough, like that I was really dishonest around stuff. So, you know, having connection and, and safety where they can come and tell you when they messed up. Because they're going to mess up. We all mess up. Mm. That is key because then you can help them learn from it or you can make them safe in that moment. or mm. They don't come mm. to you. Like, you'll be authoritarian and tell them what to do all day, but is that going to get you anywhere? Like, we've clearly yeah. seen that doesn't work. Like- no.
2: And also, I think, like, people often, and I think of our parents' generation, were afraid of kids seeing their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses yeah. and this idea of them being perfect all the time and so you feel this pressure as a kid to then also be perfect when actually you're flawed because humans are flawed yeah. and your parents are flawed in the same way and we try in our house as much as we have lots of joy and silliness we also articulate for ourselves what's going on. So I'll say to my kids, I didn't sleep very well tonight. I'm feeling really grumpy today. Yeah. So if I, I'm i going to take a moment and take some deep breaths because I feel very cross right now or yeah. what you did made me feel like I just need a little bit of time to think and I'll come back to you on that or just trying to articulate how I'm feeling all the time around the house. Sometimes my, my son's like, you don't need to tell us, Mom. Stop talking about your feelings. But, you know, I want them to know that there's a reason why I might be shorter with them than I'd like to be. Or if I have snapped, why I have and what happened to make me feel that way. And then what I'm actively doing to try and combat that. Yeah. yeah. Perfect.
1: Because the worst thing ever is silence. Like, do you remember any moments in life where you've heard silence. Like, when we don't know why someone's feeling or acting like that, it's the worst feeling, especially as a child. Mm-hmm. Like, the more information you can give them, the, the better chance they have. Like, you know, yeah. that is the key, isn't it? Like, safety comes from knowing a lot of information and connection and repair. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, and I Some think... Some really I... good points there. Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, I think... I was speaking to another doula who runs a beautiful Instagram called The Fourth Trimester. Oh, yes, I was... know her
1: really well. I love her.
2: Oh, she... oh, I know. She's so amazing. Oh, my gosh. I met her at a mother festival conference where they played my music, actually. They made my music the soundtrack to that festival, which blew oh, my mind. How cool. Played... Oh, my God, Tessa, honestly. they I just sent it to the organizers because I thought it's through the Wheeler Center in Melbourne, and I thought, well, my content the content of my music is very similar to these idea yeah of the whole festival and I just thought nothing of it and then Beck the organizer listened and messaged me while I was at the water park in Geelong with my family over the school holidays and said would you mind if we played it as the soundtrack and while people were coming in and out and before each panel and then they asked me to perform at the edge theater for like 500 people and sing my song self which is the probably the hardest song I wrote on the album that speaks into the birth trauma and the difficulty I had in breastfeeding. You know, the first line of that song is, woman at the start, broken open now, thinking that she's failed. You can hold your own damn self. Yourself can still prevail. And it's, it finishes with the lines, that shame isn't yours to hold. Your body born this way. Let it sit. Let it sink in because you are beautiful and you are wonderfully made. Wow. And I, and I think. Special. To me, that song was really healing for me. I just I wrote it in the end for me, but then yeah. to be invited to sing it to like 500 people at Fed Square in Melbourne was wow, really, really overwhelming and a really beautiful experience. Yeah. But it's so important. Yeah, I think I, that's why I'm really passionate about talking about all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and as Habiba was talking about from the fourth trimester. All of this unpacking of shame and guilt and people pleasing and all of the stuff like you were saying, if women can do that and parents, not just women, but parents and people, humans, I mean, it's good for us all to do it regardless if we have kids, but she spends a sort of time in the 10 weeks before you give birth, actually allowing people and women in particular to unpack all of that. Yeah. and really come to terms with all of the stories and narratives in their own life around all their mental health stuff because birth and kids have this way of shining a giant mirror at you. Any of the stuff you've been through, yeah. boom, it's right there. And if you haven't looked at it, it will show you all of it and your yeah. kids will mirror it and, and really, and you, and birth will do
1: that too. Yeah, so, it does yeah you're right so that is so true (laughs) it is it's a powerful thing isn't it birth and 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 just the act of being pregnant we our brains change like physically so we're we're when we're an amazing race like we're an amazing human we just need to embrace it and get the support that we deserve Mm. and then we can somehow muddle through this parenting journey (laughs) Mm, Somehow with the hold on hold on to your hat.
2: Hold on to the edge of the roller coaster and struck yourself in and
1: Yeah, but when I think when there's women like you though, Claire, and there's you know other people in this space working to educate and, you know, give people a voice and and you're you've done such amazing things with your story. Like I couldn't even imagine how many opportunities have come out of your songs. Like and how many women have been transformed by them you know so that's beautiful and when we're doing this work and wise women are around to help other women we'll be okay like I I believe you know
2: thank you that's so beautiful I'd say right back at you what a gift <laughs> that you're giving with this podcast and your work as a doula and yeah. more than that in reparenting yourself that's such a hugely Huge. Well, a world-changing thing to do, yeah. And I think
1: you know, once we're aware of things, it's hard to go back as much. So you gotta change Mm. it, or you just keep repeating those patterns. But Mm. I want to change it, you know. And these—the whole experience of coming to Australia from Ireland—and it's changed everything. So I'm so grateful that I'm here, and I've met beautiful women like you, and like I'm doing this work because it's just changed everything and the kids are only going to benefit from that as well so mm, absolutely uh, I wonder how people can connect with you Claire and you know what's coming up next I know that you're going to Ireland I'm so excited about
2: that Thank
1: <laughs> Tell you. Us about oh,
2: that. I'm so excited so you can find out more about me on Instagram at Claire 20 or at my website, com, And I have a little spot there called Events, which has all of my upcoming ones. I've been doing some shows in regional Victoria. I am coming to Shepparton in a little while. I'm doing a show there. Um, yeah, I yes. was going to be doing it in June, but we're postponing it a little yeah. bit to the second half of the year because I've been given an opportunity by Amy Taylor-Kabaz, who is a matrescence activist, to come with her to perform at her conference in London
1: in um,
2: early July. That's on the 1st of July. And then I thought, well, if we're going to do that, we may as well actually do some shows over there. So I'm performing in London on the 2nd of July in the afternoon at a place called the Space UK in the Isle of Dogs. And this incredible poet, Holly McNish, who I just adore and her poetry meant so much to me while I was writing my album. She's coming to speak and read some poems and Amy's going to be doing a beautiful speech about matrescence. So that's the 2nd of July. Then I'm going to Exeter on the 4th of July and then I'll be in Dublin in Ireland. Yes. And that I'll be playing at the Bellow Bar. The show starts at 8 o'clock. Tickets are on sale. Yeah, through Eventbrite on my website at the events page there. I'll be singing my album with Ezekiel Fenn who's my music producer and a multi-instrumentalist and Amy oh, wow. is also going to be speaking at that too so I cannot wait it's this beautiful kind of candlelit bar it'll be really fun oh wow that, that's in Dublin uh, I know and then I'm trying I'm going
1: home in August so I was like that a month before <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: right I'll just have to bring my show to Shepparton and you could come yeah. to the Shepparton yeah, one yeah I am trying to get to Cork so I'll just like keep updating. And I'll, if I do end up finding a venue for Cork, I'll send you a link for that. That would be if it was going to happen on Friday, the 7th of July. Of July, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to Glasgow and Edinburgh and then I'm playing. So that's over the weekend. And then I'm going to be somewhere else too. Oh, Petersfield, Manchester, Huddersfield. And then I'll be playing in Basingstoke or Basing Stoke, which is in the UK. And um, wow. there's a beautiful author called Lucy Jones who's written a book called Matrescence that's just coming out in June. And we're going to do a little book launch for her in Basingstoke, Stoke and then home. So well, that's You're yeah, packing
1: I'm, it in. I love it.
2: I am. I'm very excited. And then I also actually have a show in Sydney on oh. the 30th of July. And Amy Taylor-Kabaz is speaking at that. And then this beautiful dancer and author called Arian Beeston. So she sent me a video on your Instagram, Ashley.
0: Yes. She looks
2: amazing. Oh my God. So this woman, she just sent me a video of her dancing. She's a ballerina and a contemporary dancer. And she danced to this little, like maybe 30 Mm. seconds of my song self. And I just cried when I saw the video, I didn't know anything about her. And it turns out, and I could see in her movements she'd been through a lot and understood that song. And she herself was diagnosed with postnatal psychosis, which I... Oh, wow.
1: Know. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah.
2: Which is just, ter-
1: just terrifying. It is. Um, it is.
2: A huge ordeal to have gone through. And now she's actually a perinatal mental health expert and works for COPE. Wow. The Centre of Perinatal Excellence. So I'm an ambassador for COPE and also for the Gidget Foundation, both of whom have excellent online resources. Um, they Richard do. And Gidget also has free counselling. Yeah. if you need to speak to someone. And How do you, spell, comments, that? Can you um, spell that? One? The Gidget Foundation. Yeah, G-I-D-G-E-T, Gidget yep. Foundation. There's links to them on my website as well that you can go to. So they have free counselling services and actually depending on where you are, they also have Gidget Houses as well that are beautiful places women can go. But depending on where you are, particularly if you're in the regions, the COPE directory is wonderful because you can put in your postcode and your town and it will show you what's available in yeah. that area Amazing. which is re- really helpful they also have ready to cope which is an app that you can download for free on your phone that oh. will give you screening tests for things like postnatal depression and a lot of other kind of check-ins so that yeah lovely yeah it's very helpful particularly if you're in an isolated spot yeah but they'll yep. be able to show you what's available to you there. And yep. so Ariane is going to be dancing now because with me, she's write, written a book on perinatal mental health and her story that's coming out later this year, I think, um, wow. published by Black Ink Books. But she's going to be dancing at that show in Sydney. And it's at a parent-friendly time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday at a oh. um, great club in Marrickville. So I'm really passionate about trying to create gigs like music gigs that aren't for kids but they're accessible to parents at a parent-friendly time where if you need to bring a little baby you absolutely can there's changing facilities and like all of the things that you need to be comfortable plus all my gigs always have seats I'm never going to do a gig where you have to stand for three hours so and also you can always get food and drink I just feel like sometimes of course industry like and a gig at nighttime can be super fun but I'm tired as a mom (laughs)
1: yeah you know
2: going it to a gig at eight, starts at eight o'clock and then there's three supports and then the band that I wanted to see doesn't come on till 10 30 I'm in bed by nine thirty, so I'm trying to do yeah. more shows around kind of afternoons or early evenings yeah perfect so accessible
1: mm. like I love it Thank you. yes you know it that's so amazing well everyone needs to check out what you're up to and I will put yeah links in the show notes and I really appreciate you coming on today it was a really amazing chat I didn't stick to anything I was meant to do and I love it <laughs> it's uh, role, so thank you
2: so yeah. much you did a beautiful oh, job Tessa so that was such a lovely conversation thank you for yeah. listening as well no
1: thank you for being here honestly like you're just amazing I'm really impressed I'm so excited to meet you in person so
2: Oh, I can't. I know that would
1: be so lovely.
2: Well, hopefully yeah. she- Shepparton might be the
1: Oh, if Shani's involved, it'll happen.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, it absolutely will. It absolutely is. going to be it wonderful. Will. I'll
1: yeah. have
2: her. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds great. Oh, thank that you so awesome. much, Tessa.
1: Yeah, no, have an amazing day and I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank <laughs> you so much.